Hello, and welcome to Life on Maine, a daily podcast of Life on Maine in Charlestown, New Hampshire, where we discuss living life on the main purpose as designed by God. I am Pastor Tim Golden, and on these podcasts, we focus on growing in relationship with God, maturing in the faith through His Word, stewarding our relationships with one another, as well as learning to make disciples as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each day highlights one of these facets of spiritual character, growth, and stewardship, so be sure to come back each day to grow a strong and healthy walk with the Lord. Now, let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to show us today. Today we actually start a new series. Uh, We are going to be talking about the caricatures of a Christian. Now before you start thinking I'm going to make fun of Christians, I'm not going to do that. Because last time when we think of caricatures, that's what we think of. But really um, a caricature is a drawing that simply um, exaggerates or emphasizes some specific quality that exists. within a person. And that is what we are going to be doing. And we've all seen caricatures. Uh, I remember uh, talking this week on one of the uh, daily videos that we do uh, about uh, caricatures. And I remember an old guy named Bob Hope, you know, and you used to see a lot of caricatures of him with a really big snobs, right? And, uh, or Carol Burnett and Friends, who you can still see on MeTV and some of those things. And her, it's usually a very pronounced jaw and a a bit of a big mouth, you know? and, but it goes even into, probably see more often in politics, you know, whether it was Obama, people would always draw his ears being really big, or Trump has got really big hair. Um, and, but to emphasize something that stands out that helps us readily identify those individuals. And it's the same thing with Christians, that there's some things that should stand out in us. Uh, and there needs to be some things that we need to focus on, I believe, as believers, to be able to live out this thing that we call the Christian life, and to be able to do it effectively in the way that God desires. So many times I see that we kind of get a distorted view and of what a, a Christian really is. And because we might just focus on one area and forget maybe some of the others. So over the next uh, 12 weeks or so, actually, we are going to be focusing on a different um, feature, facial feature, if you will, of a Christian and the way that we should appear to the world. But not just appear to the world, but the way that we should actually appear on the inside when we are alone, when we are with God. Who are we at the very fabric of who we are? Because if we get these things down that we're going to be talking about over the next 12 weeks, I think it'll help us to walk as very healthy, very mature Christians that are able to really impact our world for Jesus Christ. So we are going to be in Galatians chapter 4 this morning and in a lot of other places as well. Um, But that will be our main scripture. And again, you can find those notes at sermons.church. You can uh, pull those up on your phones, computers, tablets, whatever. But Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven. But before we go there, let's pray. Lord, we do give you praise this morning for The fact that you are with us wherever we go, that, Lord, even when things seem to be teetering and tottering all around us, that we know that you are a sure foundation upon whom we can build our lives, on whom we can trust, knowing that you will always be there, you will always be faithful. And, Lord, we thank you for that reassurance this morning. And we ask that as we now dig into your word, 
and begin to explore uh, some of these uh, aspects of who you've created us to be as your people. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts that you would do something lasting within us that will bring forth a transformation that will help us to walk more worthy of the call that you've laid out for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, the one I want to focus on first is what it really means for us to be a child of God. And for many of us, you know, that have maybe been walking in the faith for a while, we might think, well, that's pretty elementary, you know. Do we really have to go back that far? I think we actually do. Because I think especially in America, and I think mankind as a whole, we like to do things our way. We like to be kind of independent. Um, and the concept of being a child is not something we aspire to. We, we think about always wanting to grow up. I don't know about you, when, I, when you were a child, I couldn't wait to grow up. Now that I'm a grown-up, I wish I could be a child again sometimes, you know? But it um, doesn't seem to work that way. Uh, but the thing is, is when we're children, we want to grow up. We, we want to experience independence. We want to be able to um, do the things maybe that uh, the adults do. And as a, for us to begin to look at what it means to be a child of God can maybe seem like a very vulnerable place to be. It can seem like a place of utter dependence and some, where somebody else is making the decisions for us and we're kind of going along with what is being expected of us. And when we're going the same direction, that's not a bad thing. But when we want to go a different direction, we don't like that so much. But let's look at Galatians 4, 4 through 7, because I think we, you know, it benefit us to really see uh, what being a child of God means for us and what benefits actually are available to us because we are a child of God. So again, Galatians 4, starting at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, bleh, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Now, when we look at this there's a lot of different things. I actually find seven different things that would help us um, in learning to live as a child of God and what that means for us. But before we get into those, I, I want us to really gravitate to this um, verse 6 and a quotation that is made there where it talks about God being Abba, Father. And that term Abba is actually a term of endearment more closely resembles the word daddy. And it's something that really represents this wanting to just crawl up in your dad's lap, you know. And for some of us that maybe had good parents, that's an easy thing to picture. For others, it might not be quite so easy if you came from an abusive home. And because you might think of climbing up in the lap of a father as being a place of um, uncertainty. But with God, it is a great place of certainty and a great place of security. 
And we have a Heavenly Father that wants us to have a level of intimacy with Him where we could actually call Him Daddy and feel comfortable doing that. Now, I'm not saying you have to change your prayers to saying, Our Daddy, which is in Heaven, you know. Um, but it, it is coming with that heart of intimacy. According to God's Word, what we see here is that all born-again believers are grafted into the family of God as a child. In fact, John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But adopted as a son, we see here in Galatians chapter 4 verse 5. So we are not necessarily, even though uh, we see Jesus talking to Nicodemus and saying that if you want to uh, experience life in the Spirit, you have to be born again, and that is very true. We have to be born of the Spirit, not just born of the flesh. But when it comes to th this concept of the family of God, it's realizing that we are actually adopted in to his family as a son. And what does this mean? What does this really mean for us? Well, first of all, it lets us know that all of our past issues are covered. All the past debts are all paid in full. See, when, when a family goes and adopts somebody, there's a fee that has to be paid for that child. And the new family then begins to accept responsibility for that child. And the truth is, as sinners, we have a staggering debt. There's no way that we could pay for our own adoption. Christ had to pay that and did on the cross. The debt's beyond our ability to pay, but God assumed the, all the accountability for that debt. He sent forth his son, it tells us in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, that he sent forth his son for a purpose, and that was to redeem us. See, we come into God's family because he made the way for that to happen. He paid the price. We enter into it with no debt. When you are adopted into a family, the parents do not come up to you later and say, okay, now I had to pay X amount of dollars for you. You're going to have to pay it back before you, before you leave this house. No, when you, when you adopt a child, you take on that burden. And you take that on willingly and uh, with great desire. You don't even think twice about paying the price that's necessary. And same thing with coming into the, the family of God. He didn't think twice about the price that he was going to have to pay, and he doesn't require us to pay it back. Amen. The second thing we find is that all of our future blessings are assured. See, two things happen when you're adopted. You become a charge of a new family, and you also become an heir of that new family. And the same thing happens with us as Christians. We become God's charges. Our well-being and our security becomes His responsibility. He takes it upon Himself. He, when He takes us into His family, He does not take us in and then just expect us to live according to His sets of laws. He is there to help us along the way to live those things out to train us, to equip us, to nurture us, so that we can reflect the family character and the family name and reflect it well. Our nature and our growth become his concern. And in addition to this, we become his heirs. We become written into the will, if you, if you will. <laughs> you know? And uh, 
not that God's ever going to die. He doesn't, right? Uh, he did that once, but he rose again. Didn't, couldn't hold him. But we become God's heirs when we come into his family. In other words, what does that mean? We have access to all the resources of heaven. What's God's is ours, and what's ours is God's. Romans 8, chapter 16, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17 says this. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Now, just think on that just for a moment. What it means to be a co-heir with Christ. Not that, Jesus, not that God the Father has made us as God. That's not what it's saying. But what it's saying is all the benefits that Christ has, God has willingly bestowed upon us. And we have access to the kingdom resources. And then it goes on to say, if so, be that we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. So what goes or what comes to us also carries a responsibility on our part. Our inheritance is assured, but there is a cost of being part of a family. And it does have some requirements. But before we go into those things, I'm reminded of a, a mother uh, who had stayed with her parents for several days after the birth of her first child. And one afternoon she remarked to her mother that it was surprising that the baby had dark hair since both her husband and she were fair. The grandmother said, well, your daddy has black hair. To which the daughter replied, but mama, that doesn't matter because I'm adopted. And with an embarrassed smile, that mother said in the most wonderful words, oh, I keep forgetting. <laughs> and that is the way it is with our God. That's kind of unconditional love that he has for us. He has so adopted us that he doesn't remember that we're adopted. Lots of times, it's just we are his kids. The third thing we find is that all of our responsibilities are now changed. We are expected to actually live up to family standards when you become a child of God. When you are in a family, certain things are expected of family members. It might involve chores, it might involve conduct, it could involve manners, ways of behaving. And similarly, in God's family, certain things are expected of us as well. We assume the obligations of the new family. You know, and what does that mean? Well, there's chores to be done. There's things God wants to have us do, and we need to be about those things. But there's also ways that he expects us to behave. There's ways he expects us to interact with other people so as not to disgrace the family name. There's also a requirement to go to family gatherings, right? How many of us didn't like to do that when we were kids, right, Lance? You know, but the thing is, there's an, you know, God likes it when we come together as family. And we have an obligation to learn those things, to, to walk in the ways of the Father, to walk in the ways of the family so as to bring glory to the family name. And the same thing goes with the family of God. We have an obligation to study. We have an obligation to grow strong. We have an obligation to eventually sprout our wings and go about making a difference in the world. 
And in the process of that, we have a great tool at our disposal. If you want to call it a tool, it's really a person. It's called the Holy Spirit. He acts as a guide for us and actually leads us in the ways of the Father. And, but we've got to approach it with a holy fear. And I know I've kind of mentioned it to our people in the past, but you know, whenever um, you know, my dad had expectations of me, my dad is a very loving man, and, but, and he might have expectations of maybe the lawn had to get mowed. And, you know, if I went out and mowed the lawn and he came home from work, I was really glad to see him. But, you know, the days that I didn't mow the lawn when he wanted me, wanted me to, I wasn't quite as anxious to see him come home. And because there was a holy fear, if you will. Um, not because I, I was afraid my dad was going to do something to me that would cause great pain. But there was that understanding that there was an expectation and by not doing that there would be a disappointment that he would receive um, when he saw that that thing wasn't done and so there became a holy fear and I didn't want to get reprimanded either you know and I don't think any of us like to be reprimanded by God but you know sometimes it has to happen we have to understand and have a holy fear Proverbs eight thirteen says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom the next thing we find as a child of God is we have a new destination. And it's called heaven. We are not stuck here. John 14 verse 2 says, In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, but I go and I prepare a place for you, Jesus said. Jesus came, he lived, he taught, he loved, he carried, he bled, he died, he was buried, he rose again. All for a purpose, so that he could go back to the Father, prepare a place for us, so he could come and take us there with him. Because we were destined to be separated from him for all eternity, unless that price had been paid. This world isn't our home. We have a destination in heaven. I remember growing up, there was a phrase that you heard a lot, you don't hear quite so much anymore, and it was this, home is where the heart is. And you know, where, even though we are not in heaven right now, if our heart is with Jesus, we can experience home here on this earth and in the, in the here and the now. We don't have to wait till the day we get to heaven. We can experience some of the joys of heaven now. We read about that during the call to worship this morning. The fifth thing we find is this, that being part of the family of God, something weird happens. And that weird thing is Christ, who is, you are now co-heir with, is um, actually in you. Colossians 1.27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus actually comes and resides within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so everywhere we go, he is. We are not separated from him. The sixth thing we find is that we experience the world in a whole new way. Isaiah 35 tells us, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. And it continues on talking about how our eyes are going to be open, how the layman will leap and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. We begin to see the world in a whole new way. We begin to experience life from a whole new perspective when we become a child of God. 
we begin to understand that this world isn't just about the things that happen to us. We actually have a God that's um, involved in everything that is taking place in our lives and wants to use everything that comes to make us and mold us in the people he desires. And lastly, we are to be childlike and not childish. We must come as a child in understanding our helplessness and our need for the Father. And Mark 10:15 shows us that. But what it does is it requires humility on our part, as Matthew 18, 4 says, where it says, whoever humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We've got to humble ourselves as a child, making ourselves vulnerable to him. Being childlike also means we're going to develop a hunger after the things of God. 1 Peter 2, verse 2 says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect of salvation. So long for the word of God. Desire to get into it on a daily basis. That should be just as much a part of our being a child of God as reaping the benefits from it. But it's not that we simply stay in that baby-like state. We do want to take in the milk of the word, but the purpose is that we grow up and we become actual imitators of Christ. Ephesians 5, 1, 4 says, or 1 through 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved and gave himself up for us in offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. This imitation is not mockery, but an act of obedience. In fact, 1 Peter verses, chapter 1, verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. So we want to act in obedience, learning to imitate him, learning to become little Christ. After all, that is what the word Christian means, is to be little examples of who Christ is. But understand this, being childlike does not mean we're childish in our minds. Rather, it is a posture of submission. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20 says, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Being a child of God really ultimately means, as we see through Solomon, 1 Kings 3, 7, just to be dependent upon God in everything that we do. And... As we do that, as we learn to walk in dependence to him, he is able to lead us, he is able to guide us and direct us into the ways that are everlasting, into the things that will bring life and not death, that will bring blessing and not cursing. So this morning, as we look at that, I trust that you've maybe hopefully gained a little bit of a deeper understanding of what it means to be a child of God. And, let, and learn to walk in that level of submission to him, that level of obedience, that level of dependency that pleases him. And you will not be sorry. And God will not lead you astray. He will lead you in the paths everlasting. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you this morning for this time that we've had. Ask, Lord, that as we close with a song, that you would be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name, help us to walk worthy of your call. Help us to walk as children in the family of God. We give you honor. We give you praise in your holy name. Amen. We want to thank you for tuning into today's broadcast. We pray that it was beneficial for you. 
Be sure to tune in tomorrow for another episode of Life on Main. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website at lifeonmain.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lifeonmain, where you can learn about upcoming events and find links to videos of these broadcasts and sermons. You can also view our sermons on our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash lifeonmain, with each of those words capitalized. Thanks for listening to Life on Main, and may God bless you.